All right, good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Leviticus 1 through 3. Yes, ma'am. Your picture. It's in the back room. Oh, over here. Is this what you mean? You know, we've got something different coming. We put the, that picture up in the back kids' room for the kids to have for a while, but we've got a replacement coming. It'll be sent May 26th, so we just decided not to put it back up after the Easter banners. I'm sorry. I think you'll like the new one. It's not really a picture. It's actually an American flag that's been made out of rustic burnt wood and everything like that. It's going to be kind of neat. Um, not that we're switching from Jesus to America. We're, not, we're still going to worship Christ. Um, but it's, it's kind of, I don't know. So just felt led to do that. So it's, it's coming. It's coming. Yes, ma'am. Leviticus 1 through 3. She asked the questions that everybody else was thinking. So that's, that's right. Leviticus, the book for the priests, really. Um, it's for all of us, but for the Jewish priests to know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it, why to do it, um, he's given us this book of Leviticus. It is relevant for us because, remember, as Christ has said, that the volume of the book is written of me. Everything we read in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do and is doing and will do and so on uh, for us. And so as we go through these sacrifices, the first three, um, we have the burnt offering and then we have the peace offering and then uh, or burnt grain and peace offering. Those are the three we'll do today. We'll see um, our relationship with Christ in these things. It's, it's meant for us. Um, what I liked about one of the songs today, I liked them all, but the one that I liked was uh, the first one, and I can't remember the exact line, but it was along the lines of, uh, it meant God does things for us, as opposed to, you know, it's something that we, he wants to use us, and he, 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 he uses us, and, and brings us the gifts, the tools, everything we need to do, when he doesn't need us to begin with, really. I mean, that was really the thrust of it, and um, that's what these offerings really are. God knows that we want to interact with him as we, J.C. prayed at the end there. Um, it is a dialogue. It is a conversation. It is him blessing us and us returning that to him. And God knowing that and placing that in our hearts um, after the fall, after sin, he provided the way so that we can continue to have that relationship with him. Before, they used to just walk in the cool of the day, and there wasn't any thought put into it because there wasn't any barriers in the way, our sin. But now that there is sin... God still provides a way for us to fellowship with him, to be used by him, and, uh, and these are the tools. And, and so that being said, it's important as we read through these three sacrifices to understand, are these in my life? Because these are the tools by which I can have fellowship with God. I can't have it any other way. They have to be there. I was watching Tanner, hearing Tanner play the drums. As I sit in the front row, it's an interesting sound system over here in front of the cymbals as they're crashing and banging. But I notice Tanner can't make those noises himself. And so he's got this set to make those noises. And all he has to do is hit them at the right time. And we get the benefits of those things. It's in everything that we do. I I love how smart I am now. I'm a very, very smart person now that I have Google. I love it. I'm very intelligent. You can ask me anything, and I can, you know, as long as you're not looking at me, I can figure it out in about five minutes. I can give you an answer for it. And that's a blessing. 
I mean, there's so many spiritual things you could teach on that, but really Christ is our all in all, and he has all the answers, he has all the wisdom, and we have access. You know, I'm not calling, yeah, I'm not calling him Google. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying it's similar. It isn't really of us. It's of the tools he gives us and the ways by which we can interact with him. So verse 1. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock, of the herd, and of the flock. Of his offering, or if his offering is a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own free will at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. Then he shall put his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He shall kill the bull before the Lord and the priests. Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall skin the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, shall put fire on the altar and lay the wood in order on the fire. Then the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the parts, the head, the fat, in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. But he shall wash its entrails and its legs with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar as a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The first offering here, the burnt offering, is all God's. And it's meant to be a free will offering from the people. It was up to them to come. It's a consecration offering. This isn't the sin offering. We'll deal with that next week. It does make atonement, which means it covers up, but it It's a consecration offering. He'll describe that here in a minute. Consecration means to set your life apart for the Lord. And the offering that you place upon that altar is symbolic of the person's life. That's the idea behind it. I sacrifice my life for your life. I'm going to live for you instead of for myself. It's no longer I, but Christ, if we want to translate that into our New Testament relationship with God. And so we place the entire offering there, entire burnt offering, as a a, a symbolic gesture that I'm going to consecrate and set my life apart. If you turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says as much. It's right after the book of Acts. Paul telling the New Testament church, since there are no sacrifices anymore in the New Testament, he says what the Old Testament meant. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul was calling upon the Romans to lay their life on the altar, symbolically. Obviously, they didn't do it literally. But by doing that, you would die to yourself. It's easy to take a bullet for somebody or to say that you would die for them in battle or defend your wife till the very end. And that's very noble and good, and I think that's right. But it's one thing to die daily for your wife or to die daily for those that you love or to die daily for your enemies to sacrifice yourself, your will, for their betterment. I beseech you, he says, I'm begging you, 
that you'd present your body as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not a sacrifice that's once and then done. I want a living sacrifice, a life of continual service. And that's what consecration is, and that's what this first offering is all about, consecrating. It's a telling. I'm going to consecrate my life, and that has to be there for the next offerings to be in effect. I've got to consecrate my life. I can't not consecrate my life to the Lord and expect the blessings of God and expect all these wonderful promises to just unfold before me that, that those promises are contained in that consecrated life. So you have to have that. That means you've got to set yourself apart for God. I don't live for myself. I don't live for the world. I don't live for my job. I don't live for anything else. I do all of those things in Christ. I'm consecrated to Christ. Verse 10. If his offering is of the flocks of the sheep or of the goats as a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring a male without blemish. Of course, both of those that we've read about the male without blemish reflects Christ being the firstborn um, without sin. He shall kill it, verse 11, on the north side of the altar before the Lord. And as we finished up last week with looking at the tabernacle, that is where the burnt offerings. You'd walk in, it's the first thing you do is to see that, that offering, that, that altar where you would burn these and offer up your sacrifices. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar, and he shall cut it into its pieces with its head and its fat, and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire upon the altar. He shall wash the entrails and the legs with water. Then the priest shall bring it all and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. When I was discussing this with uh, Kevin Evans came up later, he's our resident chiropractor. He came in and it came up and says, I wonder what that means about the, the fat, the fatty lobe. You know, I wonder what that means. You know, nothing's, you know, he's digging into the word, you know, he's going beyond. It says nothing's written there. That's not, you know, meant, you know, so I wonder what I said. I don't know, Kevin, I don't have any idea. I said, I guess you've got your homework cut out for you. You know, this week, I'm going to get into that a couple days later. He goes, yeah, I looked into that. It turns out that fat's just a really good fuel. It's a really good fuel. So it burns well, is the idea. So it keeps the flames going. I said, okay. So there's no deeper. He says, I'm still digging, though. I'm still digging. I said, that's good. It's that whole life thing. The whole thing gets placed on there, all of it. Um, not part of it. I think we make, uh, uh, an, uh, I don't think we mean to, but there's some, sometimes we hold things back from God. This area is, you know, I'm going to sanctify that, we say soon but I'm definitely going to sanctify this. I'm going to sanctify that. This is yours, and this is yours, and, and I'm going to, we're going to get to this too. And we, it's hard for us to just lay it all on there, that trust. Because we've thought about the other things. I can see how that'll work out if I set this aside and give it to God. I can see how this will benefit me later on, and we've worked that out in our head. And I can see where if I set this aside and give it to God, I can see where he could do some wonderful things there. I'm not so sure about this over here, though. I don't know. I don't know what he could do with that, so I keep that in my pocket kind of thing. I don't think we mean to, but we do that in our minds sometimes. Not until we've reasoned it out in our own minds do we decide, yeah, it's a good idea to do that. And he's patient with us. But it's something entirely different when you just say, I don't know what you're going to do with any of this stuff, but I completely trust what you will do with this stuff. I'm just laying it out there. And you back away, wise wide, like a little kid. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but it's going to be... Sure, it's going to be great because of who you are. We sang the song. Because of who you are, I don't have a problem laying my whole life on the altar. If it burns, it burns. If there's a tiny chunk left and that's all that's left, that's all I want. 
then, you know? It's a hard thing to do. And yet God calls us to that. I'm calling you to that. I want you to lay the whole thing on the altar. Consecrate your whole life. Watch what I'll do. I think we'd be surprised as we consecrate our whole lives how much really gets burned away and how much is really valuable and left over, you know? Verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice of the offering of the Lord is of birds, then he shall bring its offering of the turtle dove, turtle doves, excuse me, or young pigeons. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off its neck, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out at the side of the altar, and he shall remove uh, its crop with its feathers and cast it beside the altar on the east side into the places, uh, into the place for ashes. Then he shall split it with its wings but shall not divide it completely. And the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, uh, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, all this is designed to uh, sanctify or, or to make atonement. We read that at the beginning. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, Hebrews is an excellent commentary on the Old Testament. That's a great companion to it. it explains so much. And I think um, when the writer says this in Hebrews 10, um, if I can get to it here, way towards the back, starting in verse 4, he says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It can cover the sins, which is what atonement means, but it doesn't take away sins. Again, a foreshadow can't actually be the thing, obviously. The shadow is just a, it's nothing. It's just meant to let you know that something is coming, but it's nothing. There's nothing in a shadow. There's nothing, it's just the absence of light is all there is, or a little bit, you know, a, a, a shade darker, you know, is the idea of a shadow. There's nothing to it. There's nothing to hold on to. There's nothing to put in your pocket. Um, you know, Peter Padden was wrong. You don't sew it to the bottom of your foot. You can't lose it. It's just something that's there. You know, it's the substance that's casting. It's important, you know. Um, I, when I was walking with Bo, we were walking through the parking lot last night um, with the orange lights and everything, and I could see my shadow, and I'm holding it. And that's one of those tricks of the trade back in the day. You kind of watch, and if you see another shadow moving up on you when they're 20 feet long, you know someone's coming up on you. So you don't have to turn around to see if someone's following you in this dark St. Joe parking lot, you know. You just watch the shadows around you because you know that they're going to, they're going to tell me they're coming before they get there. And so I kind of, it's a strange analogy, I know, but it just came off the top of my head from last night. I'm watching. I don't have to turn around with Boa. I can just watch and see. If I see a little head move up, I'm going to turn around and see what's coming up on me. Well, that's the idea behind this whole Old Testament. As we see this shadow, everybody should be looking for who's casting it, you know? Who's doing this? And it's, of course, it's Christ. It's Jesus. And so he says this, the shadow these sacrifices we're reading of, they can just simply cover up. They can just let us know what we need or what's coming. It isn't the actual event. Although in John 3.16, he tells us, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, that's John later on. But John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. It's different from atonement. He takes away the sin of the world. He doesn't cover it up temporarily. He takes away the sin of the world. He's the substance. And so as we're reading through this and we see all these guys doing this, all they are is temporarily covering. All they are is foreshadowing that they need a Christ, that they need a Savior. They're acknowledging that. 
And that's what God wants them to do. It's a physical thing they're doing, but it's not doing anything. It doesn't change their eternity. It's not cha- What's changing their eternity? The fact that when these Old Testament saints died with that understanding that they needed a Christ. That's the idea. They knew it. David knew he needed a Christ. David didn't know Jesus' name, so David went to Abraham's bosom. But when Jesus descended there and led captivity captive, he introduces himself, I'm the Christ you were waiting for, here I am. And he led captivity captive, and they're now in heaven with him. That's the idea. So this is a shadow, this is a foreshadowing. The next one, verse or chapter 2. When anyone offers a grain offering, now if you're going to be King James, it says meat offering. Well, we think of meat as chicken, fish, and beef, basically, you know, or, or a variation of that, maybe a crawfish. I don't know if you want to. Yeah. But it's actually a grain offering. But, you know, King James, he means the meat of the grain. You know, they would call that the meat of the grain. It's just something we don't. So, so New King James or other translations translated it grain because that's really what it is. It's about um, it, well, it's grain. Uh, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it, and he shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, uh, one of whom shall take it or take from, uh, take from its hand. I'm sorry, I better start over again because my eyes aren't tracking. Um, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be a fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take it from his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering he shall, uh, grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons, it, uh, it is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So basically, it's like a, a baking bread kind of smell that they have. They take this, and they mix it with oil and frankincense, and they, they put it on the fire, some of it. The rest of it is for them to eat. It's their sustenance. It's their provision, basically. They take a portion of this. This is the grain offering. This grain offering is for service. It's for service. Um, and, verse 4, if you bring as an offering, uh, a grain offering baked in the oven... It shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. If you're going to bring it already cooked, um, then it, you know, which we'll discuss later on in Leviticus 7 and, uh, through 9. They give us more details about this offering. Um, but if you bring like a, a piece of bread instead of just the, the ingredients, um, it, it can't have any leaven in it. Leaven represents sin. Don't, don't bring any with any leaven in it. I don't want that. Um, uh, you shall bake it. Uh, in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made with fine flour with oil. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. When it is presented to the priest, it shall bring, uh, he shall bring it to the altar. Then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. This is a, this is a service offering. You're going to serve the Lord. If you're going to do this, if you're going to be baked bread, if you're going to be used for God in any way, that, that has to be sinless. That has to be taken care of. I don't want you to offer anything up to me 
uh, in service to me without that. It has to be completely taken care of. That sin must be done. In fact, we see that reiterated in the New Testament. Before you bring your offering to the Lord, I want you to go make it right with other people. Then you can come back to the altar. But don't, don't try to do this without doing that first offering first. You've got to consecrate your life first. Then you can serve. That consecration has to happen. And then that service is acceptable to God. You've got to get rid of that sin. You've got to get rid of those attitudes and heart and things that are wrong. You have to remove those so that you can serve with that clean uh, heart. I want men to raise up holy hands to the Lord. There's nothing holy about us except that we've confessed our sin to God and acknowledged it as sin and asked for his forgiveness. Those are holy hands to the Lord. If he doesn't want anything other than that, that's, that'd be profane. Verse 11, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made uh, with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in an offering to the Lord made by fire. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. And every offering of grain you offer, or, or I'm sorry, every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt to be. Uh, not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. With all your offerings, uh, you shall offer salt. When you bring this offering to God, it has to be, first of all, without leaven, but then it has to be salted. It's got to have that salt. It's meant as a preservative. If you turn to Mark chapter 9, Jesus discusses that with us. Uses this same example. They would understand this. We probably didn't. If you hadn't read Leviticus, you wouldn't know. Why is he talking about salt? Well, it's because it's very important to have that. And so he uses it as an example. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse uh, 50, way at the end. Well, starting 49. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Just what we were talking about, right? Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. We're expected to have that salt in ourselves. We're expected to be seasoned. Now, it might be a jump, a little bit of a stretch, but he says that he wants our words seasoned with grace. I'm not saying salt is grace, but it's very difficult to serve other people without sin, seasoned with grace. That has to be there. It doesn't do any good for me to be right, accurate, and just spout off. The flavor's not there. It's not pleasing to the person whom you're offering it to. It's not a blessing to them. You know, they, they actually make, and I know some of you are, need to cut back on your sodium, but has anybody ever had a saltine that's not a saltine? Sodiumless saltines? Are you kidding me? It's horrible. It's not even right at all. I've had one of those by mistake. I grabbed one and it was from my grandma's house. And I'm like, Grandma, got bad crackers here. And she's like, no, we're cutting back on our sodium. Nothing's worth that. Because as I grabbed it, it was just not what I expected. It was pasty. It sucked all the moisture out of my... It did everything a saltine does, but without the benefits. <laughs> and we can be like that with Christ and the gospel. 
It has all the elements to it. It does everything it's supposed to do, but it doesn't, there's no benefit. The person that receives it's, ugh, this is flavorless, and you don't want that. Granted, I can put a little too much salt on my messages sometimes. I know that's a little too much for some, a tone down the salt kind of thing. Sorry. Um, yeah, okay. Like <laughs> a congregation of one, right? The next section is Matthew 5.13. He says basically the same thing, but I wanted to read it because it's a little different. It's more about the preserving element of salt. Not only the flavor that's a blessing to those who hear and receive uh, from us, but then there's a preservative. It has to have some strength to it. It can't just be uh, nice tasting. Um, there has to be some effect. And so uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And then he describes, you are the light of the world. The salt has those two attributes to it. You, you, you may not have the flavor, but you're still good for one other purpose. You can throw it on the ground and it'll keep everything from growing. The idea is it's a preservative. They would rub it on the meats. That was the preservative. They take that salt and rub it on there. And it keeps the bacteria from forming. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Not only be flavorful for those that need us. To bring the gospel with, with, uh, with an appetite, in an appetizing way. But not dumb it down so much that it no longer has its effect of killing the sin in someone's life. Removing it. Keeping it at bay. Keeping this world in a, in a place of... Uh, I mean, that's, what, that's the only reason we're still here. If we're the salt of the earth, we're here to be rubbed all over the earth to keep that sin at bay. It's still going to keep growing. But we're here to kill it, basically. We're here to make it uncomfortable. We're here to make sure that it doesn't go unnoticed. It is sin. Sin is sin. And so both of those need to be in effect in this sacrifice back in Leviticus chapter 2. We want that salt. We also want you, though, to have applied that salt to your life. That needs to be in you. It'll make you flavorful, but it also keeps sin in your life at bay as well. Verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruits, green heads of grain roasted on the fire, grain beaten from full heads, and you shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion part, uh, memorial portion, part of its beaten grain and part of its oil, and all the frankincense uh, as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Okay, so those are the two. Those are the first offerings. You've got your consecration offering. You've got your service offering. This is what we do. Now the next thing is the fellowship offering. It's called the peace offering with God. This is the only offering that we get to partaken as uh, so far the priests have been able to take portions but nobody else this offering they bring and they get some of it back all cooked and ready to go ready for them to eat basically you're sharing a meal with god is the idea behind it and that's a big deal when when you would eat back then with hands no utensils at the time everybody was sharing imagine your thanksgiving dinner and the turkey's not carved and Uncle Bob grabs a handful of the, you know, and yanks it off. And you grab another piece off there. I mean, we're going barbarian on this thing. But everybody's kind of sharing. I hope everybody washed their hands is the idea. But you share. You're sharing everything. One common dipping sauce thing. You know, big, 
big platter of oil and maybe some balsamic vinegar and maybe something else in there. And you take your bread that you tear off a chunk and you slop it around and you eat. No double dipping, mind you. And yet, there's floaties in it, you know, by the time it gets to you, you know. You're sharing. I mean, it's really communion time. Um, that's the idea with this offering. Verse 1, chapter 3. When his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering. In other words, he's consecrated his life. He's been serving God. You have a fellowship with God that you can't have without those first two. It's impossible to serve or to be in fellowship with a God who is a servant without being a servant. You understand that? People have a hard time with that. But Jesus wrapped himself with a loincloth and washed the disciples' feet, and he explained to them, I am, I mean, he didn't say it as much, but I'm God, come in the flesh, and I'm washing your feet. If you want to have fellowship with me, this is, this is where we have fellowship in this service of others. This is, how we, uh, this is how you understand who I am in my heart, only by doing this with love in your heart for that person that you're washing the feet, even Judas. And Peter who was arguing with him constantly about what he was going to do, constantly. Peter, I have to wash your feet. Then wash my whole body. You already had a bath. You don't need to, I just need to do this. Uh, he didn't, Peter didn't know what to say. Judas is just planning his route. And yet Jesus is still serving with love everybody at the table. And that's where that fellowship took place. You want fellowship with me, do what I'm doing. And this is the idea behind this. This is how we partake. This is how we get that intimate with him. That's where we're double dipping in the sauce with Christ. If he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and Aaron's sons shall burn it on the, on, on the, on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, uh, which is on the wood that is on the fire as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. That portion is God's. It does cost us something. It is expensive to give that to God. You're sacrificing your time for somebody else's. You're going to serve God because you've consecrated your life. You're serving him without any thought for yourself. It's salt and without sin, right? And, and this is the result of that. Now, as you've done this, verse 6, if his offering as a sacrifice of peace, as a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as an offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. The idea of laying your hands on it is to identify with it. This is me. You know, this is me is the idea. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord, its fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to uh, the backbone and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and the priest shall burn them 
on the altar as food, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Now, they don't actually tell us that the person gets to take this home with them, but you will discover that in Leviticus 7. I'm kind of giving you a spoiler alert. They get to take some of this back. Leviticus 7 describes that. Verse 12, And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting, and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar all around on the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings you shall eat neither fat nor blood. That's, that's all meant for God. Now, three different times he says the same thing, but with different animals. And I think that's important. I don't want to make too much of it. But you know what? You bring what you have. You bring who you are to it. You, maybe you are cattle. You know, or maybe you are a sheep, or maybe you are a goat. Those are the things he's brought up in these three events. It doesn't really matter. There's not one that's better than the other. The same process takes place for each one. It's it's equal in God's eyes, is the idea. I don't know what you bring to God in service. I don't know what you have to offer him. But I tell you this, you'll find out who you are, whether you're the cattle, whether you're the sheep, or whether you're the goat, you'll find out who you are in that service. So many people are asking themselves that question. I hear that coming up all the time. I just don't know who I am. I usually take them to, well, you know, you're a child of God and you've been made to serve him. And, you're not, and, and they just they glass over. And the only thing I can tell, the only way you can, I think, for me, to get people to actually uh, desire what I'm about to tell them is to let them know, look, this is for your benefit. It's terrible to say it that way. I hate to have to say it that way, but it's for your benefit to give your life to Christ. It's for your benefit to consecrate your life for him. It's for your benefit to let Christ be the propitiation for your sins. It's for your benefit to find out who you are in your service to God. You will not find out who you are any other way than in your service to God. We are made for it. We are created for it. That's that's who we are. I'm not the fishing guy. I'm not the, the gun guy. As much as that gets put on me, you know, you know, that's not who I am. I don't want to be known for that. I don't want to, I don't want to cask with a bunch of guns labeled all over it. He liked guns. I don't want to be known for that. I want to be known for Christ. I want to be known for my service to God. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's what I'll be doing forever anyway. I won't be shooting in heaven, you know. But what I will be doing is serving the Lord. And that's how you find out who you are. Who am I as a person? It's to your benefit. If you want to find out who you are, you can't find it out in a counseling office. You're not going to find it out at a church. You're not going to find it out in, you're not going to find it out until you're serving the Lord. That's who you are. I don't do very good at that, but I do really good at this. This is it just fits. I'm so happy when I do this. I'm so in tune with God. I'm so right with the Lord. I'm so, everything's just going, I just feel great. I'm not wealthy, you may say. I don't have a lot of riches. I don't have a lot of the things the world would count as success. But I know who I am. How many, how many singer-songwriters have to commit suicide 
who have reached the absolute pinnacle, who are known for their craft, who are known for their songs, who have made all the money associated with those songs, and yet at the end of a performance go and hang themselves in the dressing room or in their hotel because they don't know who they are. Because they're not serving Christ, who they were made to serve. It's to our benefit to have that consecration time. God, I want to lay my entire life on the altar of service for you. Burn it all up. I don't want any of it. It's all yours. Then that grain offering, now I want to serve you, God. I want to serve you wholeheartedly, sanctified, set apart for you. And in that serving, you find yourself in that place of peace. Where you understand that he's taken some of me, but I've found out who I am. I know why I exist. I know why I'm on this spinning speck in this vast universe. I know. And there's nothing more valuable than that, knowing who you are in Christ. That's who you are. Your identity is in Christ. So this morning, if you've never made that time or had that time with God and you feel like God's calling you to do that, to consecrate your life to him, to set yourself apart, to give yourself to him, we're going to pray now and you can do that. I want to give my life to you completely. It's all yours. None of it's held back. Some of it I don't know how you're going to use, but I'm going to lay it on the altar anyway. I'm going to give it to you. Burn it all. It's all yours to burn. And then I want to serve you, God. Show me the next day. You know what's funny? If you read through the New Testament, none of these guys aspired to serve God. They just did. Stephen all of a sudden finds himself waiting on tables, and the next thing you know, he's giving this fantastic sermon. He dies at the end of it, but boy, does he not find out who he is? Consecrates his life, begins to serve God, dies in the process of it. Philip, just one of those other waiters at the table. Hey, can you wait tables? I'll do anything. It came his way. He didn't ask for it. Peter probably looked at him and said, Philip, you're a guy filled with the Holy Spirit. Take care of these widows. Got it. If that's what you need me to do, that's what I'll do. And as he's doing that, all of a sudden he's a part of this huge revival, gets taken to this road that leads to Gaza on the north side and and ministers to this Ethiopian guy and then gets transported someplace else, has four daughters that are prophets. Hello? There's not much to it on our part. Again, we just consecrate. And all of a sudden we find ourselves serving and then you find yourself, this is who I am. This is who I've always been and meant to be. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. As JC prayed earlier that we would find out what your intent was, we thank you for these things. The intent of these sacrifices are very clear. You put these in here on purpose for us to to benefit us. It wasn't for you. You didn't need any of this stuff. You don't desire the blood of bulls and goats. You never have. But it's for us. So God, this morning as a fellowship and individually, God, we want to consecrate ourselves to you. We want to set ourselves apart for you. We want to lay our whole lives for you on this altar and pray that you burn it all. Take it all. It's all yours. We don't hold anything back. We give you our marriages, our kids, our jobs, our fears, our ambitions, everything, God. We just throw it all on the altar there, God, and pray that you just burn away everything that you want to burn away. And then God, help us to serve. Put us in positions. Take us to situations. Put us in the prime spots, God, where you need us at certain times. And help us to just serve you wholeheartedly as someone who's been sanctified and consecrated for your service. Nothing else matters than serving you in that moment. Help us not to be distracted by the things of this world, but to accept whatever offering of service you give to us to do, even if it wasn't our idea. And then, God, in that, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to show us. 
that fellowship that we can have with you where you did whatever need was in front of you. You either helped someone see, you healed them of leprosy, you raised some from the dead, you healed issues of blood, you taught, you fished, (laughs) you did whatever was necessary. You fed, uh, you were always available just to serve whatever need was in front of you at that time. God, help us to be that same way as we consecrate our lives to just serve in any way that's in front of us, Lord, and whoever is in front of us, whether that's washing Judas's feet or whether that's washing Peter's feet or whether that's washing John's feet. Lord, help us to do that. We love you, Lord. Watch out for us this week. Uh, help us to uh, just be pleasing to you that our lives might be a sweet-smelling aroma to you all week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.